Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we will continue our team preview series with a look at the Denver Broncos. Uh, we're through about 20 plus of these at this point. Make sure you go back, listen to those. If you haven't already, been trying to make them as evergreen as possible all offseason, then we'll get all 32 teams finished up before week one. So without further ado, the 2020 Denver Broncos Fantasy Football Team Preview. Starts at the top, Mr. Drew Locke. All right. One of the more deceiving four and one records you'll see just in terms of like projecting him to then be a good fantasy quarterback. I mean, if you just look at it, went over the Chargers, the guy threw for 134 yards, had his best game against the Texans, 309 yards, three touchdowns, 22 for 27. I mean, we saw a lot of flashes of the arm talent in that one. But after that, we go at Chiefs, 18 of 40 for 208 yards. Week 16 versus the Lions, 192 yards. Week 17 versus the Raiders, 177 yards. Again, like if you go through the film, you see, you know, flashes of off script goodness. I mean, the guy is far from a statue. He actually had PFFs highest uh, time from snap to sack. I mean, the other guys up there were Lamar Jackson, Kyla Murray. So Drew Locke's not going to give you, you know, quite the same rushing floor or anything, but he's a very athletic guy. I know he's not the easiest dude to get down. And, you know, that, that right arm he's got, uh, it is a cannon. So there's a lot of potential there. And the one thing that really stuck out to me is that he graded really lowly in terms of a pass attempts, 20 yards, uh, thrown 20 plus yards downfield. And that was surprising because that really wasn't a problem with Locke's game coming out of Missouri. I mean, he was second and fourth in QB rating and yards per attempt, respectfully, on passes thrown 20 plus yards downfield among the 50 draft eligible QBs uh, coming out. So, you know, it's a situation where we kind of look at who he was throwing to and it was a banged up Noah Font. Uh, he had Corlin Sutton, who was you know doing fine, but after that, you know Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton. There's a reason why the Broncos, you know, felt the need to spend these high round picks on the receiver position. And you know, while I'm not exactly expecting Locke to just completely take off uh, in 2020, I do think uh, you know based on what happened. I mean, how many quarterbacks have we seen just suck in their first you know month or two of the season? That's pretty much what Locke had to go through. All things considered, I thought it was a really strong uh, start. I'm cautiously optimistic for Locke's future as a real-life QB. Just don't really think the fancy uh, ceiling or, you know, he's, he's not going to have much fancy relevance in 2020. Looking at the backfield, should be some sort of a two-back split with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. We've been hearing, you know, reports out of training camp, but they don't, they don't feel the need to really call one a starter because they both could be on the field so much. And that's fair. I mean, Lindsay has been, you know, really good during his career, 4.9 yards per carry. I know it's not, you know, the best stat to evaluate running back play, but you're averaging almost a full yard more per carry than Melvin, you know, back-to-back seasons, over 1,000 yards, uh, over 1,000 total yards. Looking good. I mean, nothing against Lindsay here. I just think MG3 at a minimum. Okay, even if they go, you know, split back uh, committee, I think Gordon is the favorite for goal line touches. He's definitely the better receiver. And, you know, I do think, you know, we lean more 60-40. They paid the guy, you know, when you pay these running backs 14, 50 million plus in free agency, I mean, you don't bring in those guys to sit on the bench. So I do think it's Gordon's backfield. Uh, you know, Lindsey will be involved, but guess what? Like every backfield is a committee of sorts these days. So if Gordon has this 60% 
you know, role where you're getting the receiving targets and stuff, he could definitely return top 15-ish production. And, you know, I realized how bad that October went for Gordon last year when he could barely even break off a run longer than three or four yards. But this is the same guy that led all backs and broken tackles from 2016 to 2018. I mean, as low as his yards per carry has been, you know, those Chargers teams haven't exactly been putting, you know, the best offensive line out there year after year. So I think, uh, you know, better offensive line, potentially – better offense and we could see you know a nice little bounce back season from Gordon he was starting to look like that same you know tackle breaking beast towards the end of last season I think uh, you know how good Eckler was just kind of overshadowed uh, Gordon's slight comeuppance towards the end ultimately I think if if either one of these guys is really going to take over it's going to be Gordon and you know looking at new OC Pat Shermer he has had the history of, uh, of utilizing, you know, a single pack. We saw what happened with Saquon Barkley, obviously, in, the, in those uh, Giants seasons. So uh, Melvin Gordon is definitely a preferred option over Lindsey. I've moved him down a little bit in the fantasy ranks. I mean, I have him as my RB16. Generally, I'm trying to get out of, uh, you know, the first two rounds with two of those top 15 backs. So don't have a ton of Melvin Gordon exposure this year, but I think his chances at, you know, having a solid bounce back campaign are going a little bit underrated. And the only problem with Lindsey, um, is, okay, maybe he's able to provide some reasonable production as the RB2, but, like, if Gordon gets hurt, it's not like it's going to become the Philip Lindsay show. We're just going to see Royce Freeman, however long he stays on the team. He seems like, a, you know, a candidate potentially be traded to Chicago or Philly or one of these other, one of these other squads. As long as Royce Freeman is there, I mean, that's just going to be a split two-back committee right down the middle, even if Gordon goes down. So I'm not really prioritizing Lindsey to the same extent as some people. I would much rather have, you know, the tier of handcuff backs, true handcuff three-down backs ahead of Lindsey. So moving on to the wide receivers, Cortland Sutton, alpha wide receiver one. I mean, the dude had a 25% target share and 40% area market share with Locke under center last season. I mean, it wasn't you know, he didn't exactly completely ball out uh, with Locke under center, but it's one of these situations I think where like we saw with Terry McLaurin last year where McLaurin was so good with Case Keenum. And then the first few weeks with Dwayne Haskins, like didn't go all that smooth. And we wondered, oh my God, could, can McLaurin even produce with Haskins? It's like, look what he did with Case Keenum under center. Of course, he's going to produce with other quarterbacks. And he did so with Haskins once they got a little more time. They stopped just playing ridiculously tough opponents week after week I think we're looking at the same thing here with Sutton like are you trying to tell me that Joe Flacco uh you know Brandon Allen are the only guys that can enable Cortland Sutton the great heights like get out of here Drew Locke and Sutton are going to be just fine and you know all the credit in the world to Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler I'm sure these guys are going to come in and make their mark as well but Cortland Sutton should be considered the locked in number one pass game target in Denver and he has you know I don't want to call him a breakout candidate because he already did pretty much break out last season, but we might be, you know, underestimating the potential for him to just completely go off. I mean, I know the situation like in Detroit is a little, you know, better uh, overall, you know, with Stafford obviously being the more proven commodity than Drew Locke. But, you know, I think someone like Kenny Galladay versus Corlin Sutton, I mean, just in terms of their on-field talent and, you know, potential best-case scenario ceiling, the uh, ADP disparity between those guys probably isn't warranted. With Judy, I mean, I, I believe it was, uh, you know, PFF's own Mike Renner calling him the best call collegiate route runner we've seen or one of the best in the past decade. And, you know, you, you pop on the Alabama film and you certainly see it. I just kind of wonder 
what is his exact role going to be in this offense? Because Noah Fant, you know, he had the lower target share with Locke under center, but he was also playing super banged up during that time. This was a 70, 80% tight end for most of the season, but with Locke under center, it was much closer to 50% because he was trying to play through those injuries. So yeah, Judy, uh, you know, he might just be good enough to completely take over that wide receiver two role, but, you know, wouldn't be shocking if we see, you know, an early career Calvin Ridley or Chris Goblin situation where the really talented receiver just kind of has to settle in as a number three, maybe, probably not number four, but maybe number three uh, pecking order uh, option for Drew Locke. So KJ Hamler, I mean, I wish this guy had run a 40 yard dash because you watch this dude on the field and it is just absolutely absurd. I mean, being the Ohio State homer I am, I, I remember this dude just taking a slant pass and just busting it for like 90 yards a couple of years ago. And it's like, oh my God, who is this dude running away from all these five-star studs on the Ohio State defense? That is Mr. KJ Hamler. Unfortunately, he's been missing most of training camp due to injury. This was already a situation where, you know, he was going to have to make the most out of his uh, probably limited targets to, you know, really be an efficient year one player. Now it's a question like, is he even going to be ahead of Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton due to the injury and missed training camp time? Uh, you know, dynasty owners out there, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely taking all the shots on KJ Hamlers, particularly, you know, in that round two range where you're getting them. But uh, in terms of redraft 2020, do not expect Hamler to have uh, much of a shot. Wouldn't even really be taking a risk on him in best ball. And, you know, I've been saying with these podcasts, hey, you know, better in best ball. That's what all of us fancy analysts like to say about the wide receivers. But in Hamler's situation, like you're looking at, again, the likely number three, number four option in a passing game. Like, yes, he's explosive, but just because you're a boom bust guy doesn't necessarily make you, you know, just significantly better uh, best ball option. I think the big thing you should look for is a guy that's being priced near their floor and has a much higher ceiling. And in Hamler's case, I mean, again, his ceiling is as a really efficient number three option in this passing game. You know, for me, for uh, in best ball, I'm looking at someone like, you know, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, where they're being priced more as a wide receiver three, but if things really break their way, we know they have the talent to be a wide receiver one. So if you want to get out there, get some best ball drafts in, make sure you go to underdog fantasy, use code PFF, free entrance into their million dollar contest. And yeah, don't be afraid to load up on those Texans wide receivers. I sure have been throughout the off season. Moving on to tight end, Noah Fant. I mean, look, rookie tight ends don't do anything. And, you know, literally the only ones we've seen be fantasy top 12 performers in their first season have been Gronk and then Evan Ingram. And Ingram needed Beckham to miss 12 games in order to get there and just end up kind of being overloaded with targets. So the fact that Fant did show out a little bit last season, like, should mean a lot. I mean, only A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel averaged more yards after the catch per reception than Fant. I mean, he was just the 10th rookie tight end to average at least eight yards per target since 2000. Dude was legit. And, you know, unfortunately, this is a pretty crowded tight end room, you know, seeing, uh, you know, Hireman and Jake Butt and some of these guys. And again, when Drew Locke was under center, Sutton had 40 targets, Hamilton at 28, Patrick 20, and Fant was all the way down to 14. But just keep in mind that Fant, you know, played at least 60% of the offensive snaps in weeks one through 13 before failing to top that threshold in each of the final four games of the season. So he was playing hurt. I think, you know, seeing the year two bump out of tight ends, first round talent like Fant, I mean, his ceiling is as a number two pass game option in this offense. You know, at that tight end 10-11 range, he's kind of been the first late-round tight end that I've been willing to take a chance on. 
truly just astronomical athletic profile. I mean, the fact him and Hawkinson were on that same Iowa offense still just blows my mind. But, you know, no fan, okay, the, the passing game isn't the most sure thing, but, you know, this is a situation where I think you can bet on the talent likely meeting a fair chunk of opportunity. So onto the ranks, I have Drew Locke as my QB 25, one spot behind Baker Mayfield, one spot ahead of Phillip Rivers. Again, I think the real life potential for him to lead the Broncos to playoff contention, certainly there. I mean, again, the guy's got arm talent for days and he showed, you know, the ability to make stuff happen when the, when nothing is there in the original play design, just have my concerns with, you know, one of those five stars last year were good for fancy purposes and that's not going to cut it. So plenty more late round QBs I'm looking to get before Mr. Drew Locke. Melvin Gordon is my RB 16. I have James Conner one spot ahead. Uh, David Johnson, one spot behind. You know, just a situation where, okay, maybe Melvin gets the bell cow featured role, but I think uh, Connor and some other guys have a much better chance of getting that. And yeah, I do think Gordon is probably better than David Johnson at this point in his career. So I, you know, I'm a little higher, I think, than consensus on Melvin. I will say, you know, in terms of top 300 kind of rankings, I mean, I have Connor as my 28th overall player and Gordon as my 38th. So I am taking, you know, a good chunk of those wide receiver ones and even, you know, lower tier or higher tier wide receiver twos before I'm taking Gordon. To me, there's definitely a tier change after those top 15 RBs. Um, I have Philip Lindsay as my RB 39, one spot ahead of James White, one spot behind Chase Edmonds. Yeah, I would look, I want Latavius Murray, Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, and Chase Edmonds, the top four handcuffs that don't have standalone value before Lindsay. I mean, you're just not going to get more than best case, you know, kind of RB2 value out of Lindsay. And that's going to be either with a Gordon injury or with a featured role or with a heavier role than we're expecting without Gordon. Because the three down stuff just isn't going to be there. It's not going to be there for guys like Lindsay, Marlon Mack, Carrion Johnson. So, you know, I would much rather take the backup that's either given us nothing and we're not starting him or he's giving us, you know, a literal top 10 projection if the starter goes down. Lindsay just doesn't seem to have that top 12, top 10, top 12 projection in his range of outcomes. I, I am just, you know, going for upside in later rounds, and that usually has not included Philip Lindsay. Uh, Cortland Sutton, I was my wide receiver, 22, one spot behind Stefan Diggs, one spot ahead of DK Metcalf. He's pretty much my lowest ranked, like, Number one pass game target that isn't, you know, an aging vet. I think the Drew Locke situation is just the biggest cause for concern. I mean, Stefan Diggs, I just think is a little bit better. And to see Smokey Brown, who was the wide receiver 20 last year, accomplish that with Josh Allen, I feel more confident with that. We saw Devontae Parker's ceiling and DJ Chark. I, I feel a little more confident in Minshew than Locke. I mean, Sutton's so good. He could make up for this easily. And I'm not saying not to target the guy, but I do think, uh, you know, relative to some of these other wide receivers, you know, Terry McLaurin, um, Chark, Parker, Diggs. I'm just taking my uh, shots out there versus Sutton, who, again, should be the undisputed number one guy, but, you know, with Locke, with Judy, just a couple more questions than those other guys. But, th guys, this is why we're taking running backs early, though, because if I have Sutton on my team versus Diggs or Parker, like, I'm happy. It's the situations you get in when you pass up on, you know, a Miles Sanders or Josh Jacobs for one of these stub wide receivers. And then you're picking, you know, between Leonard Fournette or Singletary or Mark Ingram later. Like just the divide between running backs available in round five compared to wide receivers is ridiculous. And that's why, you know, myself and others have been preaching this robust RB approach for most of the offseason. Uh, moving down the list a little bit, I'm a little lower on Judy than the industry. I've been a wide receiver 51, one spot ahead of Emmanuel Sanders, one spot below 
Curtis Samuel. It, again, it just, this just kind of speaks to the overall depth of the wide receiver position in fantasy. I mean, no joke, there are about 50, 60 guys, wide receivers this year you can kind of talk yourself into from a fantasy perspective. You know, maybe Judy is just that good to completely dominate and do his thing from day one. I still think Sutton is the guy there and kind of have my doubts about whether or not Locke can, uh, you know, one, enable multiple high-end fantasy options, and then two, if Judy's even going to be that number two guy ahead of Noah Fant. So we'll see. Uh, Judy's one of those rookies where I'm more excited to watch uh, next year than anyone else and, you know, look forward to seeing what he can do. At tight end, Noah Font is my tight end 10, one spot behind Darren Waller, one spot ahead of Mike Jasicki. You know, it's – I'm not reaching on these guys ahead of him, on your Wallers, your Hunter Henrys, your Gronks, your Higbees, your Ingrams of the world. You know, give me Fant, Herndon, Jonu Smith. I want – athletic upside young guys that have a chance to be their offenses, you know, number two pass game option. If things swing their way, that's no offense. I consistently find myself, you know, him and Herndon, I would say are my top two highest owned tight ends throughout the off season and drafts of all shapes and sizes. So on the win total uh, chiefs are the clear cut favorite in the AFC West at 11.5. Then we have the Broncos chargers and Raiders all sitting at seven and a half. I think the Chargers might be a little more complete overall than the Broncos, you know, just especially with the skill position, more proven skill position talent on defense. I mean, their secondary is just looking um, super elite after signing Chris Harris, now getting a healthy Derwin James. I mean, don't sleep on this Broncos defense, though, because after a first rough month of the season, they really came on, and that was with Bradley Chubb out with zero snaps, from Bryce Callahan throughout the year, who was the only guy who really knew Vic Fangio's defense to begin with. So there is a you know case to be made that okay, the Broncos go ahead and resume having this you know top five defense in the league. And if Locke can just do enough, they can definitely compete in wild card contention. So it's gonna be tough between them and the Chargers. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if both these teams finish eight and eight, nine and seven. I give a slight nod to the Chargers, but this is a good division. I mean, Broncos, I would lean the over, uh, over seven and a half. And we are seeing the juice there on minus 130 for the over, but I think it's warranted. And, you know, similar to the Chargers, like this, this is a very complete team with a loaded defense and it comes down to what can the QB give you? So a lot on Drew Locke's shoulders for the season. I'm rooting for him. I mean, how, how could you root against this Jeezy rapping swaggerific dude? So uh, best of luck to Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos along with the rest of the AFC West squads in 2020. So that's going to do it, everyone. Thank you all for listening to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Until next time, take care, everybody.